This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, week three of the college football season in the books. Week two of the NFL season closing up as we're recording this. How are you doing, my friend? Honestly, I, it was a great, great weekend. Had the opportunity again to watch some college football um, as my life begins to take some twists and turns. Um, I, I'm glad to be afforded a little bit of that opportunity to watch some DVR games again. And it, it really was. It was a great college football weekend. There was a lot of excitement, some new faces uh, to, to pay attention to, some underclassmen that we got to look at, as well as some obviously some draft prospects. Absolutely. Before we get started, though, I do just want to give a shout out to our loyal listeners and to some of our people who have already purchased the 2020 premium notebooks. We launched it, I believe it was last Wednesday. And, you know, we probably had our best five day sale for our 2020 notebooks. We are very appreciative and grateful for the people. New people have purchased it. Some people who have bought it the first two years have already purchased it. Uh, for those of you who are thinking about it, it is, it's $9.99. You get access to all four notebooks. You immediately get the 2020 scouting notebook. It has player profiles already on 18 quarterbacks, 16 tight ends, 25 wide receivers, 29 running backs. It's edited and updated throughout the year with major updates after the season, more players being added. You also get the rankings notebook. It has our draft eligible rankings, our Debbie rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings still being updated for 2019. Then we put our tiers in there before the draft. And then we put our 2020 dynasty rankings. You get the 2020 freshman notebook and then also the 2020 draft projections notebook. Both of them uh, come out in probably April of 2020. 20. So if you missed the previous podcast, I went into way more detail about what is composed in those notebooks. You can find out all that information on the website as well. You can reach out to Matt or I or the SS football Twitter handle if you have any questions, but it is the best way to support the show, to help us grow, to help us continue to do what we're doing on a weekly in and week out basis. Uh, we never want to put the podcast beyond a paywall. We don't want to just ask for donations via Patreon. So this is our way of basically asking for some help and support is for $9.99. We're going to give you a plethora of information in these four notebooks that I think you're going to think is well worth the investment. Matt, any thoughts on the notebooks before we kick into our show? No, I think you kind of laid it all out there. And I think the biggest thing that I would add to that discussion is, is that really, honestly, this is a labor of love, just like you guys, you know, are so gracious to take your time to kind of tune into us. This is also something that we do because we're passionate about it. And this is our way of giving back. And this is our way of saying thank you. And this is our way of you guys helping us kind of remain on the air and just, you know, <laughs> trust me, I'm not going to Tahiti on it. Okay. Anything we're getting in and generating in terms of revenue is going right back into the show, which means it goes right back to you guys in terms of the quality of resources and the quality of opportunities we have um, to go ahead and collect data and information for you. So it's one big circle of life here at the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. So on behalf of myself, I know Dave and Paul, just a really, really humble thank you for taking that time to purchase them. 
Absolutely. So let's get right into it with the NFL draft report for week three. I know we talked about this guy uh, off air to this morning, and I wanted to bring him up right at the start. In last week's tale of the tape, I talked about how South Carolina, Alabama intrigued me, not from a competitive final score standpoint, but I wanted to see Brian Edwards, who obviously had that really down week one, Bounce back with a big week two, but the level of competition was very inferior. And then this week he goes up against Alabama, nine catches, 79 yards. But I know you had some thoughts on Brian Edwards, and I thought it was a great way to kind of maybe start the show talking about Brian Edwards in the NFL draft report for week three. Well, I mean, Paul, I mean, if you have a chance to watch that game, and I, I would I would urge everybody to do so. I mean, when you watch anybody play against Alabama, you know that that player, that opponent is going up against one of the top caliber teams overall that college football has to offer and brian edwards is no exception especially when it comes to any wide receiver going up against the alabama secondary that's no easy task and the things that i saw from you know from brian edwards which i thought were fantastic was first of all he was used tactically in a lot of different ways he was used on end arounds he was used um on you know slant patterns on goes deep intermediate and um uh, short areas of the field. So he had a lot of versatility in the way that he was used. And the things that I wanted to see from him were the things that I saw. His his strength, his ability to leverage that strength and leverage that acceleration and level that and leverage that contact fidelity on the field after the catch and at the catch point was a resounding affirmative and check when it came to playing against Alabama. He showed that strong physical toughness. I mean, he was a dude. Not to, I mean, that's not a technical term, I'm, I know, but he was a dude. I mean, he was just a straight up dude. He had nine receptions. And let me tell you something, he was fighting for extra yards after the catch. He was tossing guys around. I mean, I'm not saying he was the Hulk out there. But what I am saying is, is that what you saw from Brian Edwards as an athlete was you were hoping to get a traditional outside the numbers wide receiver that could use his length, combine that with his contact fidelity and win on routes in tight coverage and win at the catch point and be able to leverage that after the catch to gain consistent yardage. That's what you were looking for. And you wanted to see him do that in a variety of ways. So that way we could see what skill he had. He did that against Alabama. He showed it in the short, intermediate, and deep areas of the field. He showed it against zone coverage. He showed a nice sensitivity to the ways the zone coverages would spread and settle. And he saw the seams and he was able to sit down and wait for his quarterback to deliver the football. I, I, I just left that game saying, I don't know how you don't think Brian Edwards is one of, if not the top, you know, kind of wide receivers in the country. He's got to be among them. So, yeah, Paul, I, mean, I apologize for that lengthy kind of thing, but it was that's what you saw from him all game. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've talked a lot about Brian Edwards, and I think I've always struggled trying. You know, we always talk about how I try hard to think of player comps that I think feel f- like they fit, and it was watching some of that game the other day that I think I'm starting to figure out a guy who I think Brian Edwards reminds me of. Let's see. And, I got somebody too. Let's and, see. And, and I'm going to say, I think stylistically, physicality wise, frame, play style, he is showing me glimpses of Allen Robinson. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think that's the world. Their, their measurements are close. 6'3", 215, 6'3", 209. I don't know what Allen Robinson was when he first came into the league. My, my guess is he's probably put on a little bit of muscle. So the measurements are probably pretty similar. I think he's, the, I think they're similar style players. Allen Robinson wasn't a guy who blew up the combine or, you know, with a blazing 445, 40 or anything, you know, like that. I don't think that's going to be Brian Edwards. I think they, they're very good at the catch point. I think they have more nuance and technical savvy to their games and maybe some people give them credit to. So so I think it's a good I think it's a good comp that kind of fits there. And I think you're right. I think when push comes to shove, Brian Edwards is going to fan at the NFL level. Uh it's a it's a really good class. So, you know, who knows where he goes. I still think he very much warrants, you know, being in the top 100 picks definitely maybe pushes his way into round 2. Uh but but he, I I was impressed watching uh, parts of that Alabama game to see him and what he was able to do uh, against that increased competition. So let's stick with the wide receivers. There's a couple guys that that stood out. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through them real quick, and then Matt, you can pick one or two that you, maybe you want to elaborate on from the receiver position. The two Alabama guys this week that I want to bring up are Henry Ruggs III and Devonta Smith. Obviously, Jerry Judy is the guy that we can we can talk five to ten minutes about on every single podcast. He's our he's your favorite receiver, I believe. He's my favorite receiver. He's he's ready made right now with elite elite upside. But Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith, I think you're going to intrigue NFL teams a lot as well. I've already said and I, I put out on Twitter that I think Henry Ruggs is going to go a lot earlier than I think people think right now. And I even think he's going to go a lot earlier than maybe even some of the other wide receivers that are getting a lot of publicity because it's hard not to watch components of Henry Ruggs III and not see NFL teams thinking he can do for our team what Tyreek Hill did, you know, in when Hill got his opportunity. He can be a guy who could just break a game open. Defenses are going to have to account for, and it could change the entire narrative of it. And now, you know, we're seeing a guy like Marquise Brown come in and totally different, you know, it, a little bit of a different player. I think Marquise Brown's a much more savvy technical route runner, but we're seeing the impact Marquise Brown is having with that pure speed. So I think Henry Ruggs is going to, People, NFL is going to be very intrigued. And then Devonta Smith, he reminds me a lot of Robbie Anderson. Maybe it's the super thin frame, but he can get vertical. He can make plays up. You know, he can go up and make plays in the air, even at his thin frame. He's a guy who's got some inside-outside versatility. That's a little bit better than Robbie Anderson, who's more of an outside guy only. But Devonta Smith is another guy who's flying really under the radar, probably the, the wide receiver, the fourth wide receiver that's talked about most when you talk about Jalen Waddell also there. So those two guys, you know, Smith this week, 8-156-2, and two, Ruggs 6-122-1. and one. Uh, Those two Alabama guys, and then two other names I wanted to bring up. One was Chase Claypool, four catches, 96 yards, and one touchdown for Notre Dame. He's been a guy that you've been kind of talking about now for about two years, and I'm starting to kind of see that maybe – Claypool, I think, is going to be that guy that could be a riser in the whole process. I'm not saying he's going to go to the combine and blow it up like Miles Boykin, but I think he could be a guy that people aren't talking about enough. And as Notre Dame plays bigger games and bigger games starting this week, when we'll talk about that later in the tail of the tape, I think Claypool's a guy who could start garnering more attention with that size, his his ball skills, his body control, his ability to win at the catch point. And then 
T. Higgins, Tylen Wallace, two guys we've talked a lot about. Really impressive this week. Wallace, five for 118 and one. I think he, it, it, very good all around. He looks even a little bit faster. Yeah, he, and I was going to say, he took a step. Year. Yeah, he yeah. definitely took a step. He looks more explosive and, and, and looks like he, he's run even faster than what I saw on film in the summer. And then T. Higgins, I know there's some concerns at, you know, and things he's got to work on. But I try hard to not use words like rare and elite. But sometimes, man, you watch him make plays on the ball and his ability to go up and get it, and that doesn't make or break a receiver completely at the next level because we've seen really guys who have really good ball skills and were great at the catch point not transition well to the, to the NFL. But, man, when I watch T. Higgins, I see some special and rare skills at the catch point. He's got to work on other things. He's got to refine other things. But his ability to adjust – catchable outside of his frame and away from his body at times to me he's a guy that i think that's going to translate even if some of the other stuff might take a little bit of time yeah i mean circling back living let me just kind of quick a couple of quick notes um overall my overall answer in response to all those guys is as the nfl starts moving more towards a passing game and they embrace this idea of spreading the field through the pass and using the pass to set up the run, as they start to embrace what we would kind of typically call those college and high school philosophies, I think that's going to just absolutely begin to wreak havoc on traditional paradigms. I think it actually offers more uh, more uh, support for this idea of a player problem solver paradigm as opposed to a traditional kind of profile that every position should fit into. I mean, we saw Demarcus Robinson, for example, over the weekend, right, at the NFL level. I mean, Demarcus Robinson was not a player who hasn't seen his fair share of opportunities in terms of rising and falling, and he just happened to he happened to win out. And people are going to be like, well, he got better. No, I think the game got different. I think the game got different. And I think players like Demarcus Robinson should be a clarion call for everybody that players like Henry Ruggs, for damn sure, are going to go high. Because that's the player that the NFL is starting to understand is a player that can have tons of versatility. They can support you in the run game. They can support you in the pass game. They have... Uh, they have the speed to stretch the field immediately. And for that reason alone, those reasons alone, they offer versatility. I think the place where you're going to begin to see players that, you know, struggle to make an impact are going to be those one dimensional players that don't offer a variety of moves or a variety of traits. Those guys that are literally in the box, one thing they can do only. Those are the guys. Yeah. You could say that they've never made it before, but that's not what I'm implying. I'm implying that. As the space game becomes more, formations are going to be more variable as they have been. That means players are going to be playing more than one wide receiver role. They're going to be inside, outside. They're going to offer those opportunities. And you're going to want to find players that can fit a lot of those different kind of abilities or solve those different problems. I like Henry Ruggs. I think he can solve a variety of problems. I do think that when you put him in some of those quintessential press man coverage type of situations, I think then he's going to potentially struggle if it's a good DB that can get his hands on him. I think there's still some work there to be done. Same thing with T. Higgins. Same thing with um, Brian Edwards. There's going to be areas of Brian Edwards' game. He's not going to stretch the field the same way Henry Ruggs will. But again, these are why they're different players. But I think the reason why these guys are starting to rise or guys that could rise, Chase Claypool, guys that could rise, is because the game itself is changed. 
people are not just saying it, they've acknowledged it at the NFL level. And I think that's why you're looking for these versatile players that offer opportunities for deployment and tactical advantages, both in various run game scenarios and pass game scenarios. But I do think that at the end of the day, the players that we're going to have at the top, the Jerry Judys of the world, last year, A.J. Brown, the Calvin Ridleys, the thing that is the common denominator between all of those, all those guys were extremely sensitive route runners. And I think that that is a, a truism that will absolutely be a part of the guys that have that longevity at the position. I do think that's going to be a singular quality route deception, route running, the ability to leverage everything that you do as a receiver in terms of creating separation and using your specific traits to win in a variety of scenarios against a variety of coverages. I still think those will be the quintessential things. And then from there, it's going to depend on where you land. Yeah, I mean, and look at the history of the NFL recently. I feel like that, like the the paradigm shift has went more towards the good route runners, the guys who can create separation on their own. I mean, look at some of the receivers that maybe haven't lived up to the potential yet. Listen, Mike Williams had a great year last year, and we were big fans of him. But you know, he still hasn't lived up yet to top ten pick worthy status. Corey Davis, Cortland Sutton last year, this year, Nikhil Harry, a first round pick. Look and. He he couldn't even now listen New England has plenty of options right now that they don't need him. but like he wasn't making a lot of noise in New England, but look who is guys like Terry McLaurin, who we talked about as a great route runner. I compared him to golden Tate. You, you keep praise on him for all the little things that he did. Well, it's a different time in the NFL. We saw Laquan Treadwell bust. You know, I think the NFL feels like they can, better evaluate now the guys who show that route running, show the separation weight. Now, listen, they're still enamored at times with these other guys. That's why they still go high. But we've seen more of them not fulfill the potential and the upside than some of these other guys who are what you're talking about, the guys who create separation, the, the savvy and technical route runners. And I think that's going to be important. I think that's going to, I don't think that's going away. Every once in a while, you'll find a unicorn who could do it all, but I, I, I don't think that's going away. So let's, you just talked about, I think it's a perfect segue. So let me, let's go to the running backs because there's a couple of running backs. Not much of the tight end. I'm going to skip tight end for this week. Maybe we'll hit on one or two quarterbacks. We'll see after the running back conversation, but you just talked about the, the versatility that is so important in today's NFL. Can I, am I speaking for both of us when I say that's why DeAndre Swift sits atop our running back boards as our favorite running back prospect right now for the 2020 class? Because maybe on pure running and pure running talent, maybe Travis Etienne or Jonathan Taylor or pick another great running back in this class, maybe maybe is, is, is slightly better, but the versatility that I see any, every time I watch DeAndre Swift, it's hard not to think of Alvin Kamara. And maybe that's an easy comp for some people, but I just think it fits because I think DeAndre Swift is what the NFL wants from the, from the new age running back, a guy who can impact and be what you said, a playmaker in a variety of ways and show that versatility. Well, not to cut you off, but doesn't it go hand in hand with playing an up-tempo offense? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people will say to me, like, you know, well, of course we want guys that can do everything. The guys who could do everything have always been considered great. 
Yeah, but now you also want to go up tempo. So now you want to minimize the defense's ability to adapt to you. So that means you've got to have guys on the field that can do it all. That means your whole playbook. That means every situation. That means every down and distance. That means every scenario and problem you can think of, you need to have that guy be able to be on the field and adapt to it. Now, of course, you can change out personnel, but I'm saying think about the two-minute drill. Think about all those things. That's why the DeAndre Swifts, Alvin Kamara's, Christian McCaffrey's, that's why they're valuable. There's not a down distance or play scenario where they're not an effective player to be on the field. That mitigates time. That gives your team an advantage. That gives your team time. Time is space. Space is time. Those are the guys that you want on your field. Which is why we keep harping on the receiving production and and skill of the Jonathan Taylors, the A.J. Dillons, and the Travis Etienne's of the world. Because we, you look at the NFL, and all, all those guys, we'll go to bigger guys, uh, A.J. Dillon and Jonathan Taylor, they are leaps and bounds more athletic than, let's say, a Jordan Howard type. I'm not, gonna, I'm not denying that. But look at the production Jordan Howard has had, and he's looked at as a very marginal player at the NFL level because he isn't three-down capability. Right now, no chance Leonard Fournette goes as a top five pick in what the NFL has became now. Jacksonville thought he was perfect for what they wanted. I don't think Leonard Fournette ever goes. A Leonard Fournette-style player right now, I do not think goes in the top five or the top ten. I think you need to be a dual-role player, Saquon Barkley, an Alvin Kamara skill set, you know, if if somebody knew he was going to be like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, those are the guys now that are, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, those are the guys that are going to be top 10 running back picks. I don't even think Melvin Gordon right now, he's a good receiver, but I don't know if he's, he's a, a, definitely a step below the, the Saquons and the Kamaras and the McCaffreys of the world. So I think that's why we keep harping on the receiving capabilities of, Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne is a Dalvin Cook-like player. Ridiculous elite burst and acceleration. But Dalvin Cook's a good receiver. He's shown that. Etienne's got to show that capability. A.J. Dillon and Jonathan Taylor got to show that they can play in any down and distance. Stay on the field when you go up tempo. Because if not, and they're just being taken off the field, that impacts maybe what an NFL team is willing to invest in them when there's so many other good picks. It's a fascinating story, and I think DeAndre Swift is what really you know, is why that he stands out, that versatility. Any final thoughts on that before a few other names I throw at you? No, no, no. I, I'm 100% with you. Let's hear the other names. So so the other guys that stood out, I know I mention him every week, but I, I feel like he's going to be my guy to just keep pounding the table for. Anthony McFarland against Temple this week, 132 yards, one touchdown, continue to pound it. His bursts, his acceleration, uh, Darrell Henderson-like, I think he's rising up boards. Uh, Kylan Hill, 24 carries for 111 yards, showing that power, physicality, and toughness that make Hill a very intriguing guy. And he does have pass catching ability. So I think that's impressive. Ch- uh, Chuba uh, Hubbard, 256 yards and three touchdowns, showing that big play capability that we know he has. I still want to see more... I still have questions on whether or not he can be a guy who can run between the tackles and hold up at the next level in terms of that play strength. But obviously he's having a monster season so far right now. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, 193 yards and one touchdown, continues to show that he is capable of being an interior player and not let him drop a base player. Just <laughs> let him drop to me. I'll take him on every team. 
And then uh, the last guy I wanted to bring up, and this is probably where you should start uh, and then work your way back to any of those other guys, is we saw Najee Harris have a little bit of a breakout, not in terms of his, you know, gaudy rushing production. You know, he had, you know, only seven carries for 36 yards, but he had five catches for 87 yards and two touchdowns. He showed you have been probably the biggest supporter of Najee Harris where while some people have looked at him and said he was underwhelming, he didn't really deserve the status of highly regarded as much as he was when he came into college. You've been saying he's, he's got some special traits. He's a guy that people are sleeping on and he showed some movement, some athleticism, some skill this week that I think a lot of people were like, wow, where's that been? But I went out on Twitter and said, well, if you've been listening to us, if you've been listening to my co-host, Matt, he's been saying it's there. We just hadn't seen it yet, but it was there. And and some of what we saw this week, I think, was him living up to, I think, that lofty upside and potential that that you've been saying you saw, saw in him. Well, no, I mean, it's it. he's a player that I'm definitely excited about. And and listen, it's 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 far from unfounded. I mean, this was a guy who was the number one running back coming out of high school, along with Cam Akers. I mean, he definitely had the pomp and circumstance. So I was far from the only one. But I will say this. The one thing that you have to be, I think, with any Alabama prospect is patient. You have to be patient until they get their opportunity, especially at the running back position. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing about this game that stood out to me was I think you saw on full display what makes Najee Harris different from whatever kind of bucket you're trying to put him in. And this is what I resent about the idea of using um, terms and concepts that that limit the entire scope and, and idea of what a player brings to the table, right? I think anybody who's followed um, Paul or I on our timelines or, or follow what we always talk about, we talk about, you know, the problem solver paradigm. We talk about that as a way of looking at players. And we talk about the way we look at them on a scale of functionality. How well in that situation did they meet the demands of the problem on the field and how skillfully did they maneuver their way through it in order to kind of dominate and win in that moment. And there's many ways to win on the football field. You can catch the football and get the first down. You can turn a negative play into a positive play. You can go all the way for six. You can do a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different ways to kind of examine what could be successful. In every play that Najee Harris had, there were uh, everything that he was doing. He showed tremendous skill. He showed an awareness of the down and distance. He showed an awareness of what the play call was. He followed through and executed in the correct way. But then he, what he was able to do was adapt in the moment to a variety of circumstances. What you saw is that contact fidelity, first and foremost. You saw him leveraging what he has in terms of his size and his athleticism to really be a very difficult body to bring down. He's strong. He's physical. He's tough to bring down. But don't kid yourself. He uses that as a way of not only dominating physically in collisions, but it also means he has a variety of opportunities to attack defenders. He knows he doesn't have to elude you at all times, even though he can do that, as you saw him hurdle a player in that game. But he doesn't need to do that. He knows that he can also win by actually taking half a man and dominating you to the ground. He can actually beat you by powering through your tackles. So he understands how to use a variety of tools in his toolbox. He can elude you. He has good um, good stop-start reacceleration strategies. He has a variety of strategies that he can use. He's not the most agile player, but like I said, that's not entirely part of his game. His play speed is predicated on his ability to not only leverage what I would say is good, good agility, 
But he what he does is he leverages excellent contact fidelity along with solid athleticism. He combines and weaves that all together with an uncanny ability to see the field and predict approaching angles of defenders. He can see the approach of players, and he knows how to leverage his body through a variety of situations. Look at that run, that classic run from that game where he throws a player off, hurdles another player, ducks another player, and gets a touchdown. Let me tell you something. That's happening at the speed of your mind. That's happening in milliseconds. But he's able to adapt and find a solution in those moments at all times after catching the football. Guys, I I don't think he's going to be. Okay, I don't think he's going to go to the NFL, and I don't think he's going to immediately be a player that's going to get a three-down capability. He's not going to be that guy. But I could see him going immediately into the NFL and being garnered the same kind of praise as Jordan Howard immediately, right out of the gate. So a team will take him and say, okay, well, we've got a version of Jordan Howard. Let them do that, and then watch how he slowly becomes that committee back, that lead back in the backfield. I think he'll always be spelled by some type of scat back. I think that's always true. I think he's a shade below. I think he's a shade below of where Derrick Henry is, but I think that that potential is for sure there. And maybe because of his receiving ability, it could be even more so. So I'm telling you, you've got somebody somewhere between Jordan Howard and Derrick Henry or better. Yeah, and listen, and I and I think, you know, he's not going to have a lot of tread on his tires and that might not sound that might sound ridiculous, but I think that stuff matters now for the NFL teams. You know, we've seen a lot of Alabama players come in and and especially on the defensive side be worn down and and battle injuries. I mean, look at Josh Jacobs last year. He didn't have a massive workload throughout his time at Alabama. That didn't stop him. And I'm not saying Najee Harris is going to be a first round pick, but I think there's a legitimate possibility he's a top 100 pick and he's a top 100 pick he's going to have a role pretty quickly and then how does it grow and and what type of workload does he eventually garner for a backfield and he if he is in that mix of the top 100 he's going to get an opportunity for sure and I think he's got the skill set uh to succeed once he gets that opportunity any other quick thoughts on the running backs you want me to take uh, a couple quick hitters at the quarterback no let's go to the quarterback position so quarterback things, a couple things that stood out, uh, Felipe Franks, Florida quarterback, gruesome injury. Uh, so I think we can probably take him off any, you know, draft consideration. Obviously he would have been an underclassman this year. Uh, hopefully he can get healthy and, uh, you know, get back, uh, for next year. Uh, our usual annual check on Jalen Hurts, 289 yards, three touchdowns, 150 yards rushing and one touchdown. I hard pressed to not see him or Tua or the, and then Justin Fields is the wild card. It's hard to envision the Heisman Trophy not going to one of those three guys with Jalen Hurts and Tua in the clear lead. Uh, I think at this moment, continue to put up gaudy passing stats, not asked to throw a lot, uh, but 15 of 20, uh, 289 yards, big plays down the field, showing more accuracy and quarterbacking skills than we ever saw at Alabama. Jacob Easton, 262 yards uh, and a couple touchdowns, showing improved accuracy in terms of completion percentage, hitting Hunter Bryan, who's one of the top tight end prospects, I think, in the country. Uh, KJ Costello, I think he's a guy who... Uh, Stanford is, is kind of been a little bit on hard time so far this year. I think Costello is the guy who I thought maybe could have emerged 
to be like, you know, the Will Greer or the Mason Rudolph type of this draft class where he's getting consideration in the second or third round. I thought Costello maybe could have been that guy this year. But right now, I think he he hasn't shown the progress and development I was hoping to see uh, to garner that. We'll see how the rest of the season kind of plays itself out. He was only 21 of, what, 40, 21 of 44 for 199 yards this past week. Uh, Anthony Russo at a Temple. Temple got a big win over Maryland this week. Anthony Russo is a guy who I was not on at all in the summer. And then uh, talking to Chris Tripodi, and he told me that Tony Pauline, over a draft analyst, uh, and I think now Pro Football Network, I believe, uh, was very high on Anthony Russo. And I watched him, put him in the scouting notebook, 277 yards and three touchdowns. He's got the body type. He's got the frame. He's got the arm talent. He's an intriguing player. I'm I'm hoping to get more eyes on some Temple to watch Anthony Russo a little bit closer. Uh, when I wrote his profile for the Sky Notebook, there wasn't a ton of, of past film to go on. So he's a guy who I'm really looking to watch more film on and edit and update the, the Sky Notebook as need be. And then two of 444 yards and five touchdowns. We already talked about his wide receivers, just doing what he does. And then Ian Book for Notre Dame. We'll be talking about him in a little bit, probably in the tail of the tape. Uh, 360 yards and five touchdowns. Anything at the quarterback position that you want to elaborate on, or do we want to take this to the Debbie slant? No, let's go ahead and, and translate over to the Debbie slant. Let's, I'm going to give you guys a quick little kind of snapshot of some of the guys that stood out to me. First of all, if you can hear it in the background, you should hear a low building, slowly mounting, waiting for the crescendo as we start to hear Jerry. It's happening. It'll happen. And it probably won't happen this season because Phillips may end up staying as the running back. It may very well be so. But Jerry Ely had a little bit of a coming out party this week, having nine carries for 95 yards and a touchdown, as well as having a reception for six yards. He was kick return and the kick return. And he had a kick return. That's right. He had a kick return. I forgot that highlight. Yeah, he, he had a kick return. Guys. Jerry Ely was our number one running back and our number one skill player coming out of this year's, you know, underclass or freshman class in terms of the 2019 scouting notebook. And just a quick reminder, he really does bring a complete skill set. This guy was a top major league baseball prospect that played center field. He was an outfielder, so he was incredibly athletic and he just brings the total package. I mean, his acceleration, his explosive strength, his agility within tight and open spaces, his receiving capabilities, his body control, hands, and contested catch situations, all are things that are strengths of his. And he's functional in terms of his contact fidelity, his pass protection. He can be functional on go and post routes. He projects as a scheme-versatile starter. One of those get guys that, as Paul and I were talking about, when we talk about those running backs that we want to have, those guys that can do it all, those DeAndre Swifts of the world, those Christian McCaffreys of the world, those Alvin Kamaras of the world, Jerrion Ely has the toolbox already to be that type of player. And I think it's just a matter of time. I think it's just a matter of time until he begins to take that mantle over at Ole Miss as a running back and begins to start earning the mantle as one of the best backs in the country. And now that's kind of bold, and I may end up regretting what I just said, but I don't know. I, I saw a lot of great stuff from him. So Jerry Ely, right now, try to get him if you can. 
Some other players to be aware of in the 2019 freshman notebook as well. A player that I was actually pretty impressed with and pretty high on because I loved his overall game is CJ Spiller's son, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M had a great game. Um, and he's the type of player that you really have to be aware of because he brings just a total package in terms of overall ability as well. He's not incredibly fast or, or, or athletic, but he gives you things in terms of his vision, his hands, his route running capability, his acceleration, his contact fidelity, agility, interior and outside run schemes are all good things. And he's a guy that I think when all is said and done right now, I think he's going to be a lead committee running back was how we were looking at him, but he had the chance to be a scheme versatile starter. This is a guy who I think in the long run is a player that was going to contribute early and could emerge quickly as the primary ball carrier due to his versatility as a contributor. And that was something that we've already now seen in terms of his capabilities at the position. So it's just something to be aware of in terms of Isaiah Spiller. I don't think we should forget about him. I think it's his game, his thing to lose over at Texas A&M. We should all be getting excited to watch him play. Another guy, another running back from the 2018 freshman class. He's a sophomore. He's now a sophomore in college, Sean Shivers um, of Auburn. Another player that has that big kind of pop in terms of his running game. He's another player to take your awareness of and be aware of. Um, and then, of course, when we're talking about wide receivers, a guy that I think, you know, that we should pay attention to, he's getting run early and he's a player to keep on your back burner. I love him. I love him. I love him is Jake Smith from the University of Texas. Jake Smith is a player that I just want to go back. I had him as my third best wide receiver in the class after the catch ball. I had him ahead of Garrett Wilson. I had him ahead of Dominic Blaylock. I had him just behind Wandale Robinson of Nebraska. So he's a player that I really liked in terms of what he can bring in terms of after the catch ability as a player. And some other things to consider about him. I mean, he's six foot, 185 pounds, but he brings balance, flexibility, acceleration, agility, explosive strength, run after catch ability. These are all of his strengths. He's functional in terms of his hands, contested catches. He's good in the deep and intermediate areas of the field. And he's a versatile complementary wide receiver that really could develop into a starting slot receiver. And it looks like that's going to happen sooner rather than later. When it comes down to it, I think overall Smith could develop into one of the best slot wide receivers in the country. And those are literally the words that I wrote in the scouting notebook for the 2019 freshman class. So Paul, those are just kind of some of the underclassmen. There's a variety of guys we could have talked about. Ryan Holinsky. I know you had some thoughts on Ryan Holinsky in terms of what you thought about him in general. Any thoughts on Ryan Holinsky as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, listen, I came away impressed with him. I mean, I know we've been we've been fans of Jake Bentley, you know, over his time at South Carolina, but you watch Holinsky play and and you it's hard not to think that he maybe can take South Carolina's team to a, a higher level than what Jake Bentley was able to do. So I think he's a guy very much intriguing that we should be watching and monitoring closely. And then I, I do want to throw it back to you. I may note, Next year, this time, the way we talk about J.K. Dobbins, 
Is that where we're eventually going with Master Teague? Is he the next Ohio State running back that that everyone should know? Because they just seem to always have one on call, basically, to be <laughs> the next really big thing there uh, for the Buckeyes. Is Teague that guy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Master Teague is absolutely that guy. And he what you're starting to see from him is he gets kind of used sparingly, but he is getting used, is you're starting to see him starting to get his feet wet. And um, he is an absolute athletic freak. I don't think he had the refinement that J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber had had. Um, I think he was a guy that was still kind of in the mix learning the position in terms of just getting comfortable at the collegiate level. I think he had a lot of room for development, and I think it's going to be end up being him that's going to end up taking over that mantle. But I also wonder if we're still not going to see maybe another back kind of challenge, not challenge in the sense of, in the sense of replacing Master Teague, but maybe complementing him in terms of other aspects of the game. But Master Teague is absolutely somebody to own. Um, I, I honestly, they are always so talented at the position. It's not even fair. Absolutely. So let's turn to the tail of the tape, which is as we look ahead to week four, some matchups and prospects that we're looking forward to. I think this week is definitely uh, more intriguing on paper than week three. Uh, a couple things that stand out. I'm excited to watch uh, part of Utah versus USC. I know USC's, you know, a little bit falling on hard times this year. Losing JT Daniels, obviously, you know, was a killer there. Uh, but I want to watch the running back, Zach Moss on Utah. He looks really healthy. There's a lot of people who are still really high on him. I think even higher than than I am. I see a guy who's a two-down player at the NFL level is more of like an early day three guy. But there's still people who think this guy's a legitimate uh, round two, day two type talent. Steven Carr showed glimpses. He's a blast from the past who his freshman year looked like he was going to be a superstar. Uh, he had a good first week. He, you know, I'm interested to see if he can get anything going. Tennessee, Florida, Marquez Callaway, the receiver. You wrote him up in the scouting notebook. Intriguing player, good ball skills. Uh, Ty Chandler, the running back for Tennessee. You want to watch him. And then uh, obviously see how Florida changes without Felipe Franks in there. Uh, keep a close eye. Maybe they lean a little bit more in the run game with Michael P. Ryan and the cast of running backs they have there. You have Michigan versus Wisconsin. You know, Jonathan Taylor, those Michigan wide receivers, all three of them. Does Donovan Peoples-Jones get on the field this week? Tariq Black, Nico Collins. And you know uh, what, Paul? That in that particular game, it's going to kind of be like that Spider-Man meme where he's parting, where they're pointing at each other. I think Jonathan Taylor and Zach Charbonnet are going to be like, you? No, you. No, you. <laughs> no, no, I'm you. No, you're you. A- absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that's going to be fun to watch. We have Oregon Stanford. I know Stanford's a little bit down right now, but I'm interested to see how Herbert, Justin Herbert looks in that game. We haven't talked about him a lot. I mean, I feel like he's going under the radar and he's probably locked in to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. Uh, Oklahoma State, Texas. Uh, Sam Ellinger's really been impressive. The cast of wide receivers, we've talked about them, you know, this year at times. Colin Johnson, Brandon Eagles, you know, uh, Keontae Ingram, the running back, you know, and then Chubba Hubbard, the, the running back for Oklahoma State. Uh, and then and I'm going to leave these two for you. They're probably the two biggest on paper matchups, you know, we have in a while. Auburn, Texas A&M. What are you looking for in that game prospect wise? And then the big one, Notre Dame versus Georgia this week. What is What, do you, what has you excited to, to follow and watch closely in that primetime game on Saturday night? Well, I mean, going. let's start with the Auburn game versus Texas A&M. I think the number one thing I'm looking to see is from the Auburn side, I want to see Bo Nix 
go up against a top flight team again. I'd love to see if he's matured since his Oregon game. I want to see how that looks. I want to see from, uh, from the receivers, I'd like to see how Seth Williams looks on the Auburn side. I'd like to see if Anthony Schwartz kind of takes another step forward. Um, that's what I'm interested in on the Auburn side. On the Texas A&M side, I mean, I'm just ecstatic. I mean, I mean, we're talking about, you know, uh, we're talking about Isaiah Spiller. We're talking about Jamone Osborne. We're talking about Courtney Davis. We're talking about um, Kellen Mond. Let's see if he's improving over as the season begins and kind of continues to unfold. Specifically, Jamon Osborne. I want to see Jamon Osborne do it against a good Auburn defense because Jamon Osborne, I said previously, could catapult himself into that top five realm of consideration at wide receiver. He's just that good. He's that capable. And I'm going to tell you, he had four receptions, I think, for like 107 yards last week um, and a touchdown. And that's the types of stat lines I want to see from him. And I think he's very, very capable. So I'm excited to see that. That's what's getting me excited about those games. But then moving on, I, I think the biggest thing for me, when I look at Notre Dame, Ian Book, want to see how it goes. Chase Claypool, let's see how he goes. I want to see uh, Georgia. I want to see George Pickens. I want to see George Pickens. I don't know if you guys have kind of been watching that. Yes, it's a Debbie Slant type guy, and we should have talked about him earlier. But George Pickens is getting just picked up by everybody as being like the next A.J. Green. And they're saying he looks great. Now, George Pickens from high school was definitely athletically impressive, but I didn't see the overall incomplete game. I don't know. That's not that's not the vibe I'm hearing, and I haven't seen it get a chance to really see him. Going up against a Notre Dame team with a good defense, I'd like to see what George Pickens is all about, guys. Let's go ahead and watch that. Obviously, DeAndre Swift. Obviously, we want to see how that goes. But I think George Pickens for me is the is the guy that I'm most excited about to watch on that Georgia side. Yeah, I mean, listen, that Georgia game is going to be fascinating. I want to see Jake Fromm and how he performs in this game. You know, if he doesn't play well and the Georgia doesn't get the win in this game being at home, I think the the conversation is going to tilt a little bit to you're trying to start a fight. Yeah, you're trying I, to start a fight. I, you're trying I, to start I, a fight between Ohio State fans and Georgia fans. But I mean, I mean, I just think it's. I just think there's so much pressure on Jake Fromm right now and the Georgia program. Like this has to be a special year for them. I think, or they they at least have to be in the in the playoffs and and pushing for the national title. They can't. You know, they can't. I, I wish I remember who it was. It was one of our followers and said like. They want to see, you know, uh, they want to see Ohio State go up against Georgia in the playoff. Like that would be ex- head exploding. And I and I followed I followed that up with, could you imagine we get we get that, and the other playoff game is Jalen Hurts versus Nick Saban and Tua. Like, are you kidding me? Like movies wouldn't. People would say, no, that's too unrealistic. If you sold that script to Hollywood, they would probably say, no, we can't do that. That's ridiculous. It's too unrealistic. That could never happen. But it could or, happen. Or it's people would only, or people might say, like, yeah, or people might say that's the only thing that can happen in Hollywood. That can't really actually happen. But it's it looks like we're at a collision course for that. It could happen. Now, yes, listen, two SEC teams making it is what makes that tricky. And that little dream Final Four that we just came up with, 
the one thing that's missing in that dream final four is there's no Clemson in the picture. Yeah. So that's the thing. That's the thing that, that makes it probably unreal. Yeah, they're going to have something to say about it. Yeah. They're, yeah, very much so. But if it ever, listen, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, anything could happen, you know, you know, but if we were to ever see that, and it's not impossible. I think the, the hard part is going to be getting two SEC teams in there with the ACC and most likely Clemson looking, you know, looking like almost like a lock to be there at the end of the year. But I mean, it, it's fun to talk about and we, we're going to keep coming back to it because I do think there's a lot of pressure on Georgia and Jake Fromm and for him to really live up, you know, to, you know, they chose him. I mean, if they would have, if they would have told Justin Fields after the last season ended that, you know what, you're going to get every opportunity to be the starter next year it's going to be a hundred percent up for grabs in spring practice and all that he probably stays and fights for the job but they must have said listen Fromm's going to be our guy if you want to stay around if he goes to the nfl after next year then you know we'll hand the keys over to you and on you know and rightfully so he didn't want to wait another year so i i get his part but you know that's going to be something that George is going to kind of have to live with. Uh, and, and I do think it, it makes every big game that they have, the spotlight shines a little brighter, especially every time you look up and check that box score for Ohio State and Justin Fields is doing what he's doing. So it's going to be fun. It's, it's one of the bigger marquee games of the season so far. I think, you know, Notre Dame, Georgia, Saturday night. I know I'll be glued to the TV watching that one for sure. So let's finish out tonight with the NFL rookie report for week two. Uh, Start the quarterback position. Kyler Murray against Baltimore this week. Very much held his own over 350 yards passing. uh, Protected the ball. I'm, I'm a kind of a little bit intrigued with the fact that he hasn't even let it rip yet in terms of his running capabilities. So I'm kind of, kind of intrigued to see like why that hasn't been a part of the offense the first two weeks. So, you know, interested to see when he gets that going. I know in the, if we tie it into the fantasy spectrum, part of what made Kyler Murray so intriguing is what he can do as a dual threat capabilities. We knew he could pass. He wasn't just a runner, but I think we thought we were going to get a little bit of the cheat code with Kyler Murray, where he seemed like, you know, he was like a lock for those 40 to 70 yards, you know, week in and week out doing things, you know, on with his legs. We haven't seen that yet. So I'll be interested to see if they, you know, start incorporating that a little bit more into their play calling. Uh, and then, it's it's almost Daniel Jones time, you know, as giant fans and as people who are loyal to Eli Manning and, and love Eli Manning for what he's brought to the franchise. There's no reason for Daniel Jones not to be starting. Uh, so if you're in two quarterback leagues, super flex leagues, if you know, Daniel Jones should be rostered everywhere in dynasty leagues. If you like him and you thought the preseason was legitimate, try to get him now because it's only a matter of when it may be this week. They haven't made any announcements yet, but uh, it should be this week. I don't know if it is, but uh, stock up on Daniel Jones. Uh, anything on the quarterbacks map before I run through the other skill players in one big group? No, I was actually talking to somebody this morning though about Daniel Jones. I feel like if we're down by a touchdown, or more at halftime, uh, you know, if we're more than a touchdown down by halftime, I think the second half could be Daniel Jones. Yeah. So I, I could see that very much being the case. And you know what? Like you said, it's not a shot at Eli Manning. Thank you for all of your ability and your service and what you've done for this team. We have two Super Bowls to say thank you for because those were yours. Now, 
now in terms of the organization, it's time to it's time to start thinking big picture. It's irresponsible not to give this season and the opportunity to Daniel Jones to begin to build on what you have. So I, I, I think we're going to probably see him this week if we're in any type of losing situation. Yeah, listen. I think you're. I think it's doing them disservice making them come in the middle of the game and not preparing to be the starter all week. I I just don't see the point of that. So if Eli plays decent, you know, for part of the game, or what if they go out and win? I mean, they they have two winnable games on their schedule the next two weeks with Tampa Bay and Washington. You know, so if Eli wins those two games, it resets the clock, and now it's like okay, we got to wait to where you know we got to lose a couple now. So now we got to you know we're two and two maybe. And I'm not saying they're going to win these games, but if they do, then it resets the clock. And it's like, okay, we got to wait till we're two and five or two and six again. And, you know, in multiple games on the 500. And it's like, you play that game and it could be December before you feel content, you know, we're putting in Daniel Jones. And I, I just don't get it. You got to look big picture here. It's something I feel like the Giants, and we've talked a lot about on air, off air, just have not done over the last couple of years in terms of moving forward and looking at the big picture, you know, and what's best for the organization. Uh, the running back position, only two names I want to bring up today, David Montgomery and Devin Singletary. David Montgomery seems to be, uh, trending upward after week one, only touching the ball like seven times. He caught, he had like 16 carries this past week, was the clear lead back there for the Bears. So stock up on David Montgomery. Devin Singletary suffered an injury against the Giants this week, but when he got the ball, he's looking better than I gave him credit for. I still don't see a long term guy who's going to be a big time running back at the next level. I see a really good committee guy, a really good role player. I still don't see fantasy gold as a RB1, RB2 type player. So if I can sell high, if he does have a, you know, if he's healthy at some point soon and gets more workload and gets 10, 12, 13 touches and puts up numbers, I still am not investing i think long term if i feel like the the what i can get back in return on devin singletary is worth it tight end position uh after tj hawkinson's week one explosion he came back to reality one catch for seven yards listen that's the that's the that's the position i mean tight ends are inconsistent to begin with rookie tight ends are going to be very inconsistent uh tj hawkinson no doubt on my mind you're looking at a future top five top six overall tight end in the nfl uh noah fant starting to get a little bit more involved still you know i think he's still got some route running and route tree issues that he's got to clean up, but athleticism is going to carry him. And then the wide receivers, Matt, this was such a, a fascinating class because there seemed to be no clarity at all. I know we were very high on AJ Brown and Debo Samuel. I had Marquise Brown right in that mix. They were my top three guys and Calvin Harmon. Those are my top four guys. Obviously Calvin Harmon, sixth round pick, not really even getting an opportunity right now, but Marquise Brown who barely participated in anything in in preseason or or training camp is just lit the world on fire. He is this week. It wasn't just big plays vertically down the field. He was running the whole route tree. They were getting the ball in space and he was also running in deep in that offense. And what you got to pay attention to Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, it's the perfect fit. It was the perfect fit on draft night. People were down on the landing spot because they thought Lamar Jackson was maybe going to throw the ball 12 times a game. But but he has done 
wonders for that offense and what he brings schematically and then his talent. So stock up on Marquise Brown. At this point, I can't even imagine the price tag it would be to get him on your team. Debo Samuel looks like he is quickly taking over the number one role in terms of receiver for the 49ers. This week, they were manufacturing touches. They were getting the ball running. They were getting them on screens, jet sweeps. He was running the full route tree. That was what I liked about Debo Samuel. I thought he basically was a more athletic version of Jarvis Landry and more versatile player than Jarvis Landry who can do so many different things. Uh, Stock up on him. Nicole Hardman, anyone who knows, I was a big fan of him. Post-draft, he's been in my top five wide receiver ranking some people looked at me askew on that one but i love the the talent the separation quickness he got an opportunity this week his stat lines are is not even as gaudy as it should have been he had a 75 yard touchdown additionally but was called back on a very questionable holding call he's long-term upside love it on me cole harman dk metcalf is showing way better in terms of overall understanding in a position and ready making an impact and he's so raw but what he's already shown he can do i think it speaks volumes in terms of what his upside could be uh so much impressive stuff at the wide receiver position and then terry mclaurin i kind of mentioned him before a little bit but terry mclaurin is a guy who the the route running the play strength the versatility the separation quickness Inside-outside capabilities, McLaurin has quickly emerged to be the number one wide receiver for the Redskins, and that's before his former quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, even takes the reign. A lot of guys to talk about at the wide receiver position. Anything there, Matt, like really surprise you with these guys? Or is like, wow, like I really would like to try to get one in particular on my roster if I could? Well, first of all, going to Marquise Brown, he was a guy that you were higher on than me. And I looked at him and said, you know, let's see where he lands. And he's got a skill set. I mean, I'm looking back at my notes because I'm just curious as to what I had on him um, in terms of coming out. And, you know, looking back at my notes, I mean, obviously, you know, the the big the things that we, we know about when it came to him was, you know, his biggest strengths were his acceleration, his explosive strength, his run after catch ability. Um, things that I was concerned about were things like route deception and his route deception, his maneuverability within his stems, what he could do in terms of fainting and getting players on, uh, you know, on their heels, so to speak. And he's done that. And he's done that at all levels right now at the NFL level. So that's something that I, I, I definitely didn't see to that entirety. I mean, I saw that the speed was there. Um, but when he leverages that speed with a little bit of route deception, it's enough to put guys on their heels. And you know what? I got to tell you, he's a guy that at the end of the day right now, given the way he's being utilized, the type of offense that's being done right now in Baltimore, it's a home run. I mean, it's an absolute home run for what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, absolute home run. So he would be a guy that I would definitely be going after. And another guy that I would definitely be going after is obviously Terry McLaurin. I would love to have him on my team. Some other guys that you can kind of probably get on the cheap and stock on and stock up on your bench. Hunter Renfro might be still wandering around out there on waivers. And why while it might not be the most glorious of fantasy landing spots or positions, I could see Hunter Renfro the way that game was going and the way it started to look from Derek Carr's standpoint. He was looking for Hunter Renfro. I mean, he was looking for Hunter Renfro in terms of being in the right place at the right time, and that's his specialty. So Hunter Renfro is a guy that I would keep on the the back burner, so to speak. And then there's like, you know, wide receivers that really kind of of haven't made the impact yet that we want to see from them. And I'm talking about 
Nikhil Harry. I'm talking about guys like that. You know, if you could go and, and pepper an owner with Nikhil Harry offers, there's every reason to go and get Nikhil Harry if you can get him. I mean, he's a guy that why not? Why not go ahead and go out there and get him? J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, another guy who's slowly kind of coming into relevance in that packed kind of Eagles offense. you got to make some speculative moves here, guys. I know these are jammed offenses. You're like, where do they fit in? Well, it's not about necessarily fitting in. It's about being in the right place at the right time with the right skill fit, skill set for the right team. Those guys have a skill set that's viable. If Josh Gordon, for example, doesn't finish out the year, guess who goes immediately into the Josh Gordon role? It's going to be Nikhil Harry. So, I mean, I'm just throwing out there. It's, you know, I'm not trying to wish anything poor. I'm just saying is, is that next man up is probably the guy that you should be looking at right now. You should be looking next man up across the NFL at the rookie receiver position. Yeah, and listen, Arcega Whiteside's time might be coming sooner rather than later. Eagles were a mash unit last night on Sunday Night Football. Alshon Jeffrey left the game injured. Deshaun Jackson left the game injured. J.J. Arcega Whiteside played a lot, didn't put up much statistically. But if either Deshaun Jackson or and or Alshon Jeffrey in particular is out for any extended period of time, Arcega Whiteside is going to get every opportunity to be a major major factor in that offense so checking in on those guys throughout the year at all times uh and Nikhil Harry he's probably going to be a guy that you know it's going to take a lot of a lot of resolve on Nikhil Harry owner to you know want to you know if the offer is decent I don't think anyone you know took Nikhil Harry in round one you know I know in in, in a draft that me and you did he, he fell to the early part of round two you know in those leagues I think it's a little harder you know, you're probably gonna have to pay close to to retail price on that. Uh, I don't unless you can do it without a draft pick, and it's a player that could help a team. You know, in the moment. Uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, I had my questions about Nikhil Harry. You know, but speculative ad if the price is right at some point because he's not doing anything. You know, obviously, I'm all about value, uh, and I'm willing to consider anybody uh, for for the right value. So as always. Fun talking about these guys. I think this rookie class has been really interesting where it didn't have a lot of pizzazz in the pre-draft months. It didn't have a lot of pizzazz after the draft, like rookie drafts and stuff. But it's it's been amazing amounts of rookies contributing two weeks into the NFL season. Like, you know, receivers who are like putting up wide receiver three stat lines in fantasy. And I don't think they're going away anytime soon. So uh, it, it's kind of been fun. I still think, you know, we're waiting for the Miles Sanders breakout game. He'd be my number one recommended by uh, in all formats as well. So there it is. Matt, any final parting shots here before we close up shop tonight? No, all I'm going to say is buy Jerrion Ely now. Go get George Pickens if he's around. We should be excited to go and get him. And then from a NFL standpoint, I'm just adding the back end of my roster at the bottom end because he might be available in a lot of places. I'm, I want to see ride or die what Hunter Renfro is going to end up being, and I want to see where he fits on a team. So he's a, those are some guys that I just I'm just kind of thinking on right now, Paul. Absolutely. And if you want more information on the Jerrion Ely types and guys like that, consider purchasing the Saturday to Sunday premium notebooks, $9.99. You get all four notebooks talked about at the top of the show. Uh, we've included, I should have said this, we've included last year's freshman notebook 
in the tabs of the 2020 scouting notebook. So you would, even if you didn't purchase it last year, you'd get to see the Jerry on Ely write up and all the other intriguing freshmen from the 2019 freshman notebook, all their profiles are a bonus included in the 2020 scouting notebook as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.